Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. I go to sleep and maybe about one night out of the week, I'll have what I call a contact dream. It's not my regular psychobabble of whatever's going on in my psyche. It's uh, it's from without. It's, it, it's, it's uh, and it, it usually is, as I said earlier, some sort of scene of somebody dying or being in a precarious situation that might cause a death. Lots of car crashes, for example, Mm -hmm. but not only that, drowning, shooting, stabbings, uh, plane crashes, different things. Um, But anyway, I'll, I'll have this scene that I'm receiving in a dream. I wake up from it. I write it down in a journal that I keep on the nightstand. Uh, say a quick prayer for the person, introduce myself and say, good job. This, <laughs> I, you know, you've, you figured out how to find me and uh, do the thing you just did. I hope I got it right. Uh, I'll be in touch with you, you know, uh, sometime soon. Then I have a team of prayer partners and we schedule regular meetings like you and I had to schedule a time to be on a podcast. And it might seem strange, but um, we're all busy. And this is not the only thing that I do or that my prayer partners do. So we just uh, schedule each other. When we're together, um, we we first go into what I call protective prayer. I would not do Ouija boards or talk to just any old spirit. I don't think it's safe to pick up hitchhikers here or hereafter. So I make sure that St. Michael the Archangel, uh, Holy Mary, uh, a lot of it, I have a whole different cast of saint and angel characters that are first asked to surround us and keep us safe. And then I just asked the Holy Spirit to help us be in touch with the person that brought the dream uh, because it's their turn today. Uh, These can be done on Zoom, but during the pandemic, you know, being in person was so impossible a lot of the time. Uh, But I record them uh, and then I get them transcribed. Uh, I allow, I allow, we say we're ready uh, and and, uh, it, a lot of times I'll ask for the guardian angel of the person to give clarity and just to do something like a mic test. Mm-hmm. You know, you do that at the beginning of the podcast, you know, can you hear me clearly? You know, mm-hmm. uh, do, do we, is there any, are any little questions that we need to clarify before we get started? Sometimes, for example, a dream might have a lot of characters in it, and I'm not absolutely sure who's the one we're helping. Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes more than one person crosses at the same time because they can sort of be in a group. So sometimes I'll ask about that. Sometimes something like the gender wasn't clear. Somebody died at the wheel of a car, but in the telling of the story, I really couldn't tell whether they were male or female. So their guardian will kind of come on and we'll have a little bit of a chat. Uh, and then they'll slide out of the way and say, okay, uh, the one I uh, guard and love is ready to do this thing. And so I'll be right here praying with you, but I'm going to slide to the side so that they can talk. Now, is it kind of like a channeling? Do they talk, talk through you? They do. I, I avoid that word because in the Catholic Church, it's radioactive. Fair um, enough. I don't know that it needs to be necessarily, but um, that's the state of things. And so mm-hmm. uh, I prefer to use the word um, 
prophecy to describe it. Any anyone that's been raised in mainline uh, Protestantism or uh, or the Catholic Church would be familiar with a reading at, uh, at a public service like a mass from one of the prophets like Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And in in the section that might be read at public worship, there might be a narrative. The prophet Isaiah went from this town to that town, and then when he got there, he ran into this guy. Right. Well, then the the prophet then might speak in his own voice. And then move from his voice to someone else or or God using his voice. So there might actually be three speakers in the same block of text. Mm. Um, So I think of it that way. My voice doesn't change very much because it's the same vocal cords with air going through them. Um, If I gave you a violin, would you know what to do with it? Right. You know, it could be a fiddle, you know, it could be, it could be country music or it could be classics. So this, the sound that will come out can vary a little bit according to who's, who's using it, but not an awful lot. It's pretty fixed. A violin's not going to sound like a tuba, regardless of who plays it. Exactly. So then when that person comes through you, they're talking to your prayer partner and explaining right. what's going on, what they happened? Are. We're, we're, we're what I call co-conscious. I'm not entranced. I'm alert to everything. And um, my vocabulary is available, uh, turns of a phrase. Sometimes people will use a word that they've never used before, but it was available in my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So it's, we're partnering sort of, but I try to be um, pretty much out of the way and just let the person say what they need to say. They have to stay in English because that's my only uh, functional language. Uh, although they don't have to have spoken English before, they can be from another country and speak, form their thoughts as they always have, but they come out in English. Now, uh, so when they're talking, what are they saying? And what, like, so let's say they come in, they, they speak through you, they're, there's, you're recording it and, and obviously talking to your prayer partner. At what point does, like, what's the process after that? Are they just telling their story? Are they- yeah, I skipped over a, a point that I, I should have made clearer. Um, when when we're when we after we go into uh, our protected prayer, the first thing I do is read the the dream as I wrote it down. And many times they're only a paragraph long. Sometimes not. Sometimes they they have a lot of detail, but sometimes they'll just be maybe a sentence or a, just a few ideas. But I'll I'll read that. I usually pause the recording because it costs money um, to get it transcribed. So I pause it. We go into prayer a little deeper. We read it a second time just to let it kind of soak in, sort of like a tea bag, you know, just to, just to be still in the story and allow it to to um, move in us. And then when I'm when I when, when we've done that, that's when I say, okay, uh, could we have the guardian please of this person or the person themselves, and let's get started. And, and then and there's and they're basically just describing their story. Yeah, they're they usually comment upon because we just read this dream story as they related it, they usually comment on it because it's the last thing we were just talking about. And the prayer partner might say, did we get this right? Did we understand clearly? Sometimes there'll be symbology that you didn't quite understand and they'll make it clear. Uh, uh, And then they'll sometimes remark about the process. They've never done this before either. And they'll talk a little bit about what it was like the, uh, I'm I'm told that my consciousness looks like a a green sparkly river. Okay. Oh, okay. And that uh, one guy said uh, they bring you there, but you still got to launch the boat. You know, like you got <laughs> they bring you to the edge, but you still have to get in it. Uh, and uh, some something like current. You know, 
uh, it's funny the way we use the word current to talk about money, currency. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that flows. We talk about electric current, what you and I are communicating via currents right now. Mm -hmm. And then at the subatomic level, that's what we are, you know, our right. body. As energy, electricity. An energy field, yeah. And so anyway, that's what they say. So then at the end of that, that, that session, what happens? Do they go, okay, I'm good now? <laughs> how does it, yeah. how does it continue? They, uh, the, the session normally doesn't take more than half an hour to 40 minutes tops, maybe a little bit longer if they're chatty. Uh, mm -hmm. But usually we, when we schedule, we plan on doing two in a row in a couple of hours time with a little break time in between. So uh, the, we just listen to their story. They often tell us um, what it was like to leave the body, you know, whether sometimes they're conscious during that process and other times not. Sometimes they... Are they awoke up in a new place? Many of the ones that we deal with because they went through trauma, trauma are through in something like a healthcare continuum in the afterlife. Similar to what would happen if you or I were in a wreck on the freeway mm -hmm. and weren't able to care for ourselves, someone would come in and take care of us and take us where we needed to go to heal. Mm -hmm. And then even in a healthcare setting, you move from maybe the ER to surgery to ICU to a step down room all the way to the end of the line. And I, I think of myself and our and my prayer partners as like the discharge staff. The day you leave the hospital because you don't need this any longer, you know, gathering up yourself, you know, your meds. Do you understand when your physical therapy appointment is? Uh, do you need, who's coming for you? Right. We, uh, partly we supply the ride. We help them uh, figure out who's going to take you. They're going someplace they haven't been before. So a guide is necessary and they understand that. So we help them uh, oftentimes choose a person they'd like to have come for them. Now, uh, with all these experiences, how many have you done in your career? More than 400. So with all of that interaction with you know stuck souls and souls that are needing help to get to the other side, what have you learned about the afterlife? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. One thing, one, one thing that we do is before we tell any of their stories in public, we go back to them and ask their permission, mm -hmm. which doesn't seem like the right thing to do right when you're in it, you know? Oh, and, and before you leave, I'm writing a book, I, I, you know, I need... <laughs> can you sign, can you sign right here? <laughs> yeah, that just doesn't seem appropriate. But when, but when it comes time to, uh, I have two books and there's 26 stories that have been told publicly. I'm, I'm starting a podcast soon. Okay. Um, I want to be, have that to be another forum where I can introduce a new story, but not until after we've gotten their permission. Um, but toward the end, we, um, we asked them can you think of someone who loves you, who died before you did, who might be willing to come for you? Uh, early on, I asked, I coached my partners to do that all the time. And then I found out that over time, people that are led to my own are kind of briefed. This is the way these people operate. If you do it this way, they're going to want, they're going to ask you this question. So they come prepared to answer that question anymore. And um, it's either somebody that they knew in their lifetime that they opted for. Sometimes they'll take luck of the draw. They'll just say, I don't care whoever is the right person. Sometimes their guardian angel is already there. So they'll say, well, the, my garden is already here. I don't really need anybody else. Other times they'll just take the luck of the draw and the funniest people show up. Somebody from your first grade class. 
some kid you played with, you know, once upon a time or, um, you know, most of us in high school had at least one person die while we were in high school and there was an assembly and maybe we planted a tree in their honors. I've had that show up, you know, people, it can just be lots of times it's grandparents. Um, once in a while it's celebrities. Uh, it can just be just about anybody. I have to ask you, I mean, this isn't, I mean, I was raised Catholic, so I, I am familiar with with Catholicism and went through the whole, the whole gambit through my teens. What do your contemporaries say about this work? Your colleagues say about this work? Well, it depends. The the folks that I live with, I live in a mixed community of uh, uh, four men and three women. Mm -hmm. And some of them are interested in it and and ask about it. And others just don't. Mm -hmm. Um, We all have our work to do and we, we casually keep, you know, each other informed about what went on today, but we don't necessarily delve. So it really depends on the level of a person's interest. I do get some um, pushback once in a while, you know, get disinvited from a speaking engagement on another topic when they learn about this topic. Mm. Uh, um, uh, And I sometimes I'm I'm in the process right now of getting some help from some volunteers about um, building a, a a body of of literature and stuff about uh, people that I've helped. After a show like this one, I might get uh, stuff through my website of people that want to talk about something spiritual. A lot of people, a lot of it is grief support. Mm. I didn't write these intended to be grief support books, but um, the pandemic has made death and grieving even more difficult than it was before, because a lot of it's happening in isolation or you couldn't really have a proper funeral. And uh, there's a lot of suicide, and a lot of drug deaths that leave people really wondering about their loved one. And are they safe? What drove you to this kind of work? I mean, you, this, this work is not easy. It's about, well, I mean, just being a priest is not an easy path to walk. Um, what drew you into into this kind of work in general, not the the stuck soul work, but just the religious path. Well, as a child, I was raised to believe that I could be anything I set my mind to. You know, mm-hmm. A lot of people have had that kind of parenting. I wish more did, but mm-hmm. you know that what and they made educational resources available and encouragement and so on. And I I remember asking. I went to Trinity in San Antonio, mm-hmm. in Austin. I I just thought college was a candy store. There's just everything there, the the whole universe, you know, on on one block plot of land at the university. And I I, eventually I asked this question to God, what does the world need one more of that I could be? Could I morph into the, could I think of myself as a pluripotent stem cell? Mm -hmm. You know, those are running around in your blood system. And if you cut the tip of your finger, there are cells in your bloodstream that know how to become a fingertip. And I just thought I could become what I needed to be, would it help to make the world better? And and uh, being a priest turned out to be my path. Now, how does um, how is time perceived in the afterlife? Because I read that some of the souls that you work with uh, are recent uh, yeah. and others could be hundreds of years, uh, quote unquote, hundreds of years old, but they civil war. That yeah, kind they of stuff. Died decades ago, right? Yeah, decades ago. How is it perceived, and, and and how is time perceived in that afterlife, from your perspective? At first, I thought that it must be uniform; that there must be one way everybody 
precedes time or doesn't. And I learned over time that it it really depends. That it, for people that want to pay a lot of attention to events on Earth, that's that's a possibility open to them, and then they become more conscious of the passage of time. Uh, others look away from it, and uh, they can re-enter it. Like for example, if you ask a person, "What year did you die?" you would think they'd have that at their fingertips, <laughs> right? Uh, but they don't always. Sometimes they. And I early on, I started asking Americans, "Can you remember the last president?" That was, you know, who was the last president you can remember? And that, you know, would put me in a frame of time. Reference. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing that's important as these these souls might have been stuck or moving slower than others is they're not made to feel like the dumb kids. You know, there's not um, a one size fits all sort of chronology. You ought to have this accomplished by this amount of time since your death. It's nothing like that. They they just work at a fast pace or a slow pace, depending upon what they want to do. There's still there's still sequence, even if it isn't happening in time. We're used to things happening one after the other after the other, and we keep track of that with a clock. But in the in the afterlife, there's still things that happen as a consequence and subsequent to other things, even if it isn't measured in time. Got it. So. Uh... I mean, I'm assuming you've heard of the near-death experiences and, and yes. people that go through that. How uh, is, is that? Have you met any souls along those paths that have come and gone, come and gone, or anything like that? Not that they've mentioned. I'm a member of IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and mm-hmm. I'm around a lot of experiencers. I haven't had a near-death experience of my own. They, they have, I've had what they call a spiritually transformative experience, an STE. Mm-hmm. So if you go to their conferences... They always ask everybody in the room, who's had an NDE? Everybody raise your hand. How, who's had an STE? And my hand will go up uh, there. Um, I haven't run across, and the people that I've helped in this forum, I haven't had people that said, this is the second time I died, or I nearly died once, and then I did I did die this time. I haven't had that happen. Was that your question? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I haven't run across that. Now, one thing I always found interesting, you know, growing up uh, in in the in the in, in Catholic school, is that when they told you you have an all loving God, but He's also built this torture chamber, yeah, called hell. Even in first grade, I was like, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> you and I would have been in the same classroom because I was sitting there thinking the same thing. I'm like, kids around me, you know, the other kids were doing the same thing. We're just like, what is that? What? I don't understand the concept. Like, how can you be all loving and then yet torture people for a mistake? Well, I can tell you right now that some of your listeners are are disagreeing with you this second. Oh, I'm sure. People feel very impassioned about that. There's another way of of looking at, um, at, at, at what I call the outer darkness. There's there, people can still choose to be belligerent and they can still choose to inflict harm and not to play well with others, all, all of that. Uh, and they can still do that in the afterlife. And I believe that they have to move off on their own. <laughs> they're not, you know, they're not allowed to stay in polite company if they're going to behave that way. I do believe that there is something of a hell, but the idea that God created it in order to have a place for his enemies. Jesus taught us not to even have enemies. He taught us if you have an enemy, love them. Um, right. And um, so I believe there's that that there's security. I don't believe you're going to have to lock your doors in the afterlife. Um, 
I, I, believe, <laughs> I believe that that uh, that the people that I deal with have all made that choice that they want to be uh, a part of the light uh, and, and especially of truth. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And and there are others that are not doing that yet. But does that have to be? Does that mean God wanted to create such a place, or that it's it's inescapable? Uh, some of this stuff is theologically uh, the proper object of ongoing speculation and mystery. Um, uh, it's really not my my uh, wheelhouse anyway. I'm not dealing with that. I'm dealing with folk that Catholics would call it purgatory, and sometimes I'm asked why don't you just call it purgatory? And I say, well, that's language that only Catholics use and not only Catholics die. And I, I'm not, I'm not dealing with only Catholics. Um, uh, but purge, purgatory, purge means to cleanse. And some of the people I've dealt with absolutely use that as their main metaphor for what they need to do. They feel, they, they feel like they need to get cleaned up. 